Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to Sunday service and especially to our uh, restorative yoga students and our Deep in Your Meditation and also those on the web and, of course, all of you on this cool, brisk Sunday uh, morning. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda. Um, Our uh, topic of this week is Reincarnation, the Spiral Staircase. Truth is one and eternal. Oh, I haven't introduced myself. I, sorry, not. Uh, don't want to be presumptuous and think everybody knows who we are. <laughs> My name is Nayaswami Bharat, and this is Nayaswami Anandi, and it's our pleasure to be with you today. Reincarnation, the spiral staircase. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, Jesus Christ tells us, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. There is a difference between church dogmas, which are based on reasoned deductions from scriptural statements, and the pronouncements of wisdom, which are based on the inner realization of scriptural truths. Reason like a train can only follow already existing tracks of human experience. Human memory, being short, is seldom able to cross back over the threshold of a person's present existence. Biblical references to previous lifetimes on earth are overlooked in the deductive process, and we find them therefore excluded from the body of official dogma. Nevertheless, such references exist. The Bible itself presents them as does Jesus in this passage, not as abstract teaching, but as direct personal perception of truth. In the same way, Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita silences Arjuna's reasonable doubts on the subject, not by reasoned argument, but by the frank statement contained in the fourth chapter of this great scripture. Arjuna, you and I have passed through many births. I know them all, though you, O chastire of foes, recall them not. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to be here together. Thank you for coming. I'd like to begin by reading from Whispers from Eternity, a book of poems and prayers by Paramahansa Yogananda. (coughs) This is a prayer demand for illumination. O Spirit, beloved Father, over soul of the universe, Spirit of spirits, friend of friends, teach me the mystery of my existence. Teach me to worship thee in breathlessness and deathlessness. In the fire of devotion, burn away my ignorance. In the stillness of my soul, come, Spirit, come. Possess me and teach me to feel thy immortal presence in and around me. Come, Spirit, come. 
Come, Spirit, come. So as we heard, this morning's topic is reincarnation. And I have to say, just as a disclaimer at the beginning, that you don't have to believe in reincarnation to gain a lot from the principles behind it. And so if you're not sure how you think about reincarnation, just relax. I think there'll still be something of value for you this morning. I first heard about reincarnation um, in junior high school. I think I was in eighth grade, and I took a comparative religions course in my um, Sunday school. And it actually was quite inspiring. It was the first time I'd ever heard of the Indian philosophy, and it really was thrilling to me. But they didn't do such a really good job on the reincarnation topic. <laughs> and I was, the, what I was left with was the fact that Hindus don't eat meat because they think that their grandmother might have reincarnated as a cow. <laughs> and it seemed really, really quaint, really unusual thought, just sort of like randomly, you know, now you're a school teacher, now you're an eagle, now you're a fireman. It was like sort of bouncing around. And it didn't, I didn't believe in it at all. But when I came to these teachings, I found that it was profound and very, very reasonable concept that basically we, our soul, our soul is one with God. We're perfect even in this moment, but our soul has become attached to a body. And through that body, we have to learn many, many lessons to be able to embrace the divine love, the unity with everyone that is our nature. And so this teaching is still, I have to say, a belief system for me. And what we say here at the Expanding Light is yoga means experience. Go by your own experience. A man came to Yogananda and he said, you know, I'm an atheist and I think that when people die, they die, and there is no afterlife. And so it doesn't really matter what I do. And Yogananda said, well, that may be true. On the other hand, you don't know for sure that that's true. <laughs> and there may be an afterlife, and it might be good just in case to pay attention to how you behave, because in case there is an afterlife, you'd like to be prepared. But he said also... If you behave in the right way, it's going to make this life a lot nicer. And that is the truth of it, that whatever we believe, these principles still hold. I was thinking of, I remembered an experience that Bharat and I had that it was a kind of an interesting introduction to reincarnation. Uh, Swami Kriyananda, over the years, whether he's been living in India or Italy or here, from time to time would invite people over to his house to watch a movie with him. And it would be a way for him to relax with others, to provide an atmosphere of relaxation for everyone. And it also was a way for him to share vibrations in a nonverbal way so that he could send out love and joy and not have to be talking all the time. And so we were invited over to watch a movie called Lagan. And when we entered his apartment, of course, your first thought is just the vibrations of joy and the vibrations of love that are there. And you're just in that energy and feeling so uplifted by it. 
And then the movie starts, and it's quite a long movie, actually. And it's a Bollywood film, very good,、uh, lots of singing and dancing. But it's the story of、um, it takes place in Victorian、uh, India when the English were in charge, the British Raj, and the the evil British charged tax to the good、uh, Indian people on the the rice that they grow. And this tax is very high, and these Indian people are very, very poor. They do a lot of singing and dancing, but still, they're very poor. <laughs> happy, they're happy, but they're poor. And、um, so they go to the British to ask if this tax can be reduced. And meanwhile, the British, who are very wealthy and pompous and nasty, and don't do any singing or dancing, they <laughs> they say.、Um, They're playing cricket at the time, and so they challenge the Indians, and they say, "Well, we'll play you a game of cricket, and if you win, you won't have to pay your tax for three years, and if you lose, you're going to have to pay triple the tax." Okay, so that pretty much ensures that they're all going to starve to death if they lose. So the stakes are very, very high, and they, the Indians don't know how to play cricket because they haven't learned, and so they have to learn, and they're preparing, and the Tension is building, and the excitement is building, and we're moving toward this point where the big game is going to happen. And will the good, wonderful Indians win, or the evil British? And you're just kind of completely holding your breath and very, very excited. And at that moment, Swami says, "Well, I guess that's enough for tonight. Shall we watch this?" <laughs> and everyone in the room groaned because we realized. We were completely invested in the movie. We had forgotten about why we were there, Swami's vibrations, all that stuff. We were like, "Who's going to win? The, will the good guys win? Will the bad guys win?" And we were just attached. We were so involved. And that is actually a really good description of what the process of reincarnation is. We are this pure soul. We're made of God's love. We're made of God's joy. And when we get in, and then we get into the little movies that we're given, and we get so involved. Will I meet my soulmate? Will I earn enough money? Will I get a good job? All those things, and we're completely locked in. And if we don't get what we want, we have desires, and those desires keep bringing us back again and again and again. And so, this principle of involvement,、um, investment, is part of reincarnation. And Yogananda told us the way out of it. He said, basically, if you do everything, he said, if you eat strawberry pie only to serve God, only to please God, you won't be attached to it. You won't be thinking, "Oh, this is a great strawberry pie. I really want more of it." You'll just be serving God with everything you do, and you'll be able to do it in freedom. So, how do we do this? We start small. We rake the leaves. We wash the dishes. We try to feel like God's joy is coming through us as we do that. So we try to hold onto that vibration of freedom. And I was thinking that it's very interesting to me. We've known Swami Kriyananda. We knew him for over forty years through the founding of Ananda, which was quite challenging for him,、um, trying to work with peoples all. Their different thinking, taking us through forest fires and lawsuits and and many financial challenges, 
And I don't think I ever, ever saw him anxious, fearful, angry, any of the things, the emotions that come from being invested, from being attached. Oh, will we be able to survive this new challenge of having all of the community burned down? No, he just was calm. Okay, what will we do now? What will we do now? Because he always felt that he was doing it for God. He always felt this is Master's community. It's completely in his hands. Whatever happens is going to be just the right thing. There's no need to be concerned about it. We'll just could be uh, in that flow. And so this is how we're trying to live. And whether we believe in reincarnation or not, it's a great technique. Um, but I wanted to read this quotation. I was very, very moved by this quotation from Yoga, uh, the book that Swami wrote about conversations with Yogananda. And he describes, Yogananda is speaking here, and he describes uh, reincarnation as a wheel. This is how it's talked about in many religions. It's a wheel, and we have to get off of that wheel. And this is what Master says. To get off the wheel, you have to desire freedom very intensely. Then only will God release you. Your longing has to be fervent. If it is, and if you are determined no more to want to play, the Lord has to release you. He tries to keep you here with tests, but in his higher aspect, as the cosmic lover, he hates this show and wants you out of it. Why shouldn't he release you once he sees that you really want him alone and not his show, that you want only freedom in him. Well, I suspect um, many of us here in this room have had this thought of I only want freedom. And oftentimes, unfortunately, it comes when things aren't working out so well. You're not feeling so good or your job isn't going so well and you just kind of go, oh, I just want to get out of here. I just want to be free. I don't want to have to deal with this. But that's not the way this is meant. It's meant in the sense of longing for God so much that you don't want anything else. Um, the, I was reading yesterday again, Many times I've read this about the life of Sister Gyanamata, Yogananda's most advanced woman disciple. And she was a great, great soul, but she was physically extremely ill. She was in excruciating pain for about 10 years. And what Yogananda said that struck me so much is he said, I never saw pain in her eyes. It wasn't only that she endured. It wasn't only that she never spoke about her pain. It wasn't only that she was always loving and kind to everyone around her. It wasn't even in her eyes that she was suffering. In her eyes was only devotion. And she was so focused on Yogananda that from her bed, because she was bedridden for many, many years, she would tune in to his Sunday services that he was giving miles away. And once he came to her and she said to him, I really liked when you said thus and so. And he said, oh, you heard that, did you? She just was living connected on that level. Now that is a desire for freedom. And we won't, we won't despair if we're not there yet. We'll just 
hold that out as a beautiful, beautiful direction to, that we want to rise above what's given to us, not that we quit the game. Oh, the game's too hard. I want out of it. But rather, how do I win the game? This is the, this is the hand I've been dealt by God. How can I win it? How, what, is the, what is the lesson for me to rise above it? So I wanted to talk about three main things that can be helpful to us, whether or not we believe in reincarnation. And the first of these is positive thinking all the time. This is amazingly important. It sounds so um, trivial a little bit, but this is the positive pole in the body. This is the seat of where God lives within us. And when we are positive, when we say things positively, when we are kind, when we're loving, we align ourselves with the presence of God within us. Yogananda asked his congregation a question. I'm going to do it to you now. He said, I'd like you to close your eyes just for a moment and just let something pop into your mind. Won't be too hard, I'm sure. Okay, and now the question is, what popped into your mind? Was it a positive thought or was it a negative thought? And to pay attention and say, I want my default to be positive. I want myself to be pointing in a positive direction no matter what is going on. The glass is half full rather than the glass is half empty. Trying to align ourselves with that quality within us because that's what's going to take us to freedom from reincarnation, yes, but to a lot happier, more wonderful life because the seat of positivity in the body is also the seat of joy and happiness. The other thing that sounds like um, the same thing, but it's not, is to avoid negative thinking all the time. And that, I wanted to share something, actually, I'll just read it to you, that I've actually been working with from the Bhagavad Gita. For some reason, this struck, struck me very strongly. This is from the Gita. Separation, separation from other selves and from the absolute self is the delusion from which all other delusions arise. Separation. So actually, I've been using that word as a mantra. And you start to feel maybe anxious about something, maybe annoyed with something, maybe, I don't know what, frustrated, any type of negative sensation for any type of reason, and just say to yourself, separation, and see if you don't discover that the reason for that feeling that you have is that somehow you've separated yourself either from another person or you've separated yourself from the fact that God is coming to you in every part of your life and you're acting like this doesn't count, this isn't from God, this is uh, something separate, and try to say, okay, there is no separation. This is mine. I'm united with all of it and I embrace it. It's a very, very powerful way to keep yourself in a place of freedom. There's another aspect of avoiding negativity that is another is a technique that we're going to do. Um, the Indian teachings say, well, not the Indian teachings, this is the truth. We all know this truth. When the soul leaves the body, it goes out on an exhalation, okay? person exhales and they're they're free of the body. 
when the baby is born, its first act is to inhale. And so what Yogananda said is that we can look at each breath as a reincarnation. You exhale, end of that incarnation. (laughs) You inhale, ah, fresh new start. And so we're going to try an exercise that he gave. And if you would now, contrary to what I said before, if you would now bring something to mind that's negative in your life, um, could be just uh, something inside of yourself or your negative response to something that's coming to you outwardly. And just take a moment. And what we're going to do then is we're going to, I'll tell you first, we're going to exhale that negative thought And then we're going to inhale the opposite positive quality. If you're not sure what the opposite positive quality is, you can always choose God's love, God's joy, God's peace. Those will all work fine. So let's just think of that quality. And we're going to inhale intense as we think of the negative quality. And then we're going to throw that quality out with the breath. Now, as you inhale, draw in that positive freedom. And this is your new incarnation. In this incarnation, you're free of that negative thought. You have only that positive thought. So that's another powerful thing we can keep in mind of keeping our mind aligned with the positive. Let go of the negative. We... um, and to worship those negative thoughts, and we don't want to make a home for them. So just, just release them and draw in the positive. And the third quality that we can use to help us move toward a sense of freedom is meditation. Um, we can't really think ourselves to a state of what it's like to be more free than we are now. We can be positive, we can avoid the negative, but to feel that sense of transcendence, we have to experience that in superconsciousness. And that is going to come through the practice of meditation. So when you meditate and you have those moments where you feel touched by God's joy or God's love or God's peace, something very, very transcendent. Tune into the fact that that is who you are. That is your real self. Not the small self, but that is your real self. So this is um, one way that we can do that. I have a, we have a statue of Lahiri in our outdoor garden that I walk to on the way to our outdoor temple. And oftentimes, if I've been in something, some kind of funky something or other, physically, mentally, emotionally, something that's not totally on, I walk by Lahiri and I go, he's been, he's been here. He's been exactly in this place. Frustration, whatever it is, life not working quite right, whatever it is, the masters have been there. But they have reached a place above it, and they have established themselves there. There's no coming back. Um, the the uh, spiritual teachings say it's like hanging a coat on a hook. Their consciousness is hung on the hook. It's not going to fall off. It's just in that 
uplifted state. And we are trying to achieve that ourselves. And finally, I would like to share a story and a visualization with you. Um, Many years ago, uh, probably decades ago, um, I met a friend of Swami Kriyananda's. And he was, I, I don't remember anything about him, but I remember saying to Swami afterwards, oh, Swami, he was a beautiful soul. And Swami wasn't going to let that just fly by. He said, you mean he has a pleasing personality. And he caught me because I was, I actually did think that I was, ex- touch, I was feeling his soul quality, whatever it was, kindness or integrity or something really like a soul quality. I, I thought I was feeling his soul, but I wasn't. Um, I was tuning into the personality. And later, as time went by, I've had a few experiences, I think, of what a soul feels like um, through a few friends who've passed on. And most notably, the one I want to bring up especially, and I've, I've shared it before, is the passing of Bharat's mother. And um, Bharat's mother was a wonderful person. But if you walked into a room, she would easily be ignored. Extremely humble, quiet, um, simple person. She never said a negative word about anyone. That was a fairly notable quality about her. She only saw goodness in everyone. But aside from that simple quality, she was um, very inconspicuous, not religious, not interested, not introspective or relig- interested in religious things or spiritual things at all, but, but um, a wonderful person. And when she died, we both felt literally by the experience we had. We went to, to pray with her body, and we both felt this powerful, angelic sweetness. And knowing her and feeling that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what a soul is. This is not related to her personality. This is a soul experience, and it was very dramatic. And when I reflect on the people in this room, I have to say, I can't imagine anyone here being less than that, okay? And so when we look at ourselves and we think, who are we? And we introspect and we look at our faults and we, uh, you know, uh, line out all the things we have to work on spiritually and the things we have to change in ourselves, we tend to see ourselves as a very small thing. It has nothing to do with our soul quality. And I was thinking of the image, we've all seen cartoons of this, you know, with the genie in the bottle, little teeny little bottle, and then they rub the, the, the uh, lamp or the bottle or whatever it is, and this gigantic thing comes out. Okay. Well, I'm going to le- I would like to lead us in a little visualization because this is as close as I can imagine to what the soul must be like. I mean, the soul doesn't, isn't looking like that, um, and it doesn't look like an angel. But for the purposes of this visualization, I would like you to just tune into yourself. Now, the soul, remember, has no gender The soul is part of God. Your soul is God. 
Okay, it has all the divine qualities. So, and it's enormous. So as you think about yourself, I'd like you to see yourself as just a very tiny, small vessel. And rising from you is this enormous angel. As I said, an angel does not your soul, but it's a good visualization. And this angel... If you're a man, you could even imagine this angel to be a divinely feminine form because the soul has no gender. This divinely feminine form is full of motherly love for everyone. And that is the part of you that's untouched by anything else. And if you're a woman, you could imagine what's coming out of you is this giant warrior angel. In my life at Ananda, I know many men who are divinely loving mothers and many women who are gigantic warriors. And just picture this huge warrior self coming out of you. And this self is powerful and free, untouched by any danger untouched by drowning, not able to be drowned, not able to be burned by fire, not able to be injured by a sword. This is eternal. And this is our nature. And if we go, as we go through the process of living, we want more and more to practice being identified with this place inside of ourselves of freedom, of power, of invulnerability, What we practice is what we get good at. And if we want to leave this life in freedom, let's try to live in identification more and more with this freedom that is really who we are.